For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Here's your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball brought to you by RamShirts.com, the company that brought you Crush City Tees. RamShirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct garment printing for small runs, screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at RamShirts. Visit RamShirts.com for all your custom apparel needs. Listeners of this podcast, enter promo code BASEBALL and you can get free shipping. Pretty awesome deal. Here's another awesome deal, folks. Besides the Altuve walk-off today, I have a special guest, Mr. Patrick Creighton. Patrick, what's going on? What's up, Rob? How you doing, man? I'm doing, dude. I mean, I went from, I put a tweet, I did like a gif or a gif, whatever you want to call it, of, of Ortiz like smashing his bat in the dugout. And I said, this is me with the remote. And I'm telling you, if I would have been at the game, I would have left because uh, I live in San Antonio and it was already five o'clock. I mean, I think I would have left. Well, on Jose Altuve Jersey giveaway day, the game ended uh, basically the, the best possible way that it could have. You know, when uh, Maldonado popped out, I was like, ah, Lee. And then all of a sudden, Altuve walks up and I was like, oh, yeah. Like, this is so poetic. This has got to happen, you know? And, it, and and the swing resembled the same one in New York. I mean, like, it was like a real low. It was either in New York or another walk-off the guy had. But, you know, it was like a real low golf swing flipped up into the left side. It might have been another team at home, but it was pretty awesome. It looked just like it. Yeah, my favorite part about it is it's Chad Green, right? And in New York... When Altuve uh, takes Chad Green deep, he takes him deep on a fastball that's like nose high. And it was the first time in Chad Green's career he'd ever given up on a, a home run like above the shoulders in his career. Never give up a home run on that pitch before. And Altuve takes him yard. And, you know, sayonara, we're out of here. Today, he won't throw a fastball to Altuve. He throws him this breaking ball that's like on his shoe tops. And Altuve busts out the five wood and just slams it into the into the boxes. Like, come high, take me deep. Come low, take me deep. I own your freaking soul. And awesome. <laughs> yeah, so that other one must have been another team at home because it was the same swing and it went to the Crawford boxes. But uh, coming into the series... Were you more confident that the Astros would perform better than they did? Well, look, I thought the Astros would certainly hit them. I mean, they didn't hit at all. 
for the first two games of the series. And coming into the series, you know, the Yankees were only two games over 500. They were nine out in the division. Hal Steinbrenner has been on record multiple times saying, hey, we're not going to be a taxpayer this year, no matter what. It's just not happening. They're not going to be taxpayers. So there's no help coming for the Yankees. And if the Astros would have handled business against the Yankees this weekend, the Yankees would have gone into the break a game under 500, 10 games or so back in the division, and their season would be over. The Yankees would be going into the break as sellers. And then no bats Friday night. No bats Saturday night. And it's like, wow, they've really let the Yankees off the hook here. Right now, the Yankees are probably feeling like, okay, you know what? Maybe we can just move some money around. You know, maybe we'll send out a salary here and bring back a different player, you know, for a different need there. Um, But after the way the Yankees lost today's game, to blow a five-run lead in the ninth. And according to the TBS broadcast, this is the Astros' biggest ninth-inning comeback since 1980. I was seven. Uh, <laughs> I didn't see that game. Their biggest yeah, I was nine. Comeback since, since, ni- since 1980. Now, all the good the Yankees did Friday and Saturday is gone. It's all washed away. And now they sit here with this epic ninth inning collapse in a game in which I mean they walked 14 what 13 times 14 times they walked 14 times today it's an Astros record most walks allowed in nine inning game 14 flipping walks dude this was like if you ever watched uh 13 year old baseball because it's the very first year they go to the big mound so they're no longer on the short mound. Now they're on the full 60-foot, six-inch mound. Mm-hmm. And the pitching is wild as hell. That's what the <laughs> Astros looked like today. They just The ball was everywhere. Although there were a couple of pitches, uh, one from Joe Smith specifically that was right down the pipe, somehow got called the ball. That's a topic for another conversation. But the Astros couldn't find the play today. And on a day where you walk 14 batters, not to mention give up eight hits and seven runs and a couple of homers, you still have this epic comeback in the ninth to steal a game you had no business winning. The Astros were awful for eight and a half innings. And then they won. And now the Yankees go into the break. They don't feel so good. They're not thinking, oh, well, you know, we took two or three from the Astros. No, it's we just had an epic collapse with one of our best relievers just going right down his leg. And yeah. now all that, you know, now, now they're going into the breaks thinking, well, maybe we're sellers. One half inning undid two games, eight and a half innings of good. And now has the Yankees going into the break three games over 500 eight games out in the division and feeling like sellers. Yeah. You go, you go to, you go to Friday's game. The Astros were held to three hits. They lost four to zero Saturday. uh, The, the surprise for me, which was a a high point was the bullpen pitched five scoreless innings after Grinky went out in the fourth inning. And the only run and this is the poetic part, was Judge with his solo home run. And Judge was one person 
one player on the Yankees that I actually didn't dislike, and then he had to do that little gesture when he hit the home run. And then, you know, you knew what he was doing. And then when they interviewed him, he said he was, it was cold. Did he say it was cold or I was cold or it was cold in the stadium? Because I didn't see the interview. I just kind of knew that he had said something about it being cold. And then today, um, let me see. They were up one to zero and Machete had that home run. And he kind of pulled down the shirt and showed the tattoo that there's no buzzer. So they're kind of, you know, they're kind of going back and forth at each other. Top of the eighth, Gary Sanchez had the three-run homer, and he did the, you know, the the same thing with the, you know, close my shirt and don't take my buzzer off. And then that was the, that was the pitch that I nearly threw my phone through the window <laughs> because freaking Taylor's up 0-2. On Gary Sanchez, and look, I know Sanchez has power. He's hitting freaking 217. He strikes out three times a game. And on 0-2, you freaking groove one down the middle? Dude, you or I could have put that ball over the Crawford wall. Yeah. That thing was right down Broadway. How you make that pitch on 0-2? This is why Taylor's the freaking long man. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the point where, you know, I think earlier in the six, Tucker got a solo home run and made it three to two. Uh, then they made it four to two, but we're still in it. But then when Sanchez made it seven to two with that home run, I, I thought it was over. I mean, who didn't think it was over? I'm, I, I wish I could see the stadium. I'd like to see how many people left. But, you know, like I said, going back to what I was saying, he did the gesture. And well, it looked like it your looked point. like we were going to lose, right? And... And you're thinking, okay, we got we're gonna get swept, and they got to make fun of us, and and they kind of, you know, they kind of won, they kind of won the battle, and they kind of won the little jabbing on the side as well. But when Jose Altuve had that, that walk off, like you said, the outlook for the Yankees changed, and for me, it changed. I mean, today wiped out everything it doesn't even feel like we got shut out for 27 or 26 innings it doesn't even feel like that i mean we didn't get shut out but it didn't feel like we got shut down it, it wiped it all away i feel happy i feel great what do you guys say i was say you know to your point about you know what are the fans doing the at bat before sanchez the judge at bat where uh where judge draws the walk Aaron Judge is at the plate in a 4-2 game in the top of the eighth, and they're doing the freaking wave. And I would say I vomited in my mouth, but I think a little bit came out. Yeah. Stop doing the freaking wave, number one. Number two, you're in freaking, like, this is, like, this is the soup of the game here. Like, right here, this is the high leverage point of the game. We're in the eighth inning. The heart of their order is up and y'all are doing the freaking wave. Like you're not engaged in the game. If you're doing the wave, this is a four, two game in the eighth inning. That was shameful. That was embarrassing. You know, literally be legal to head slap. Like, like you can watch NCIS. (laughs) They'll give. Yeah. You should be able to give slap anyone that you see doing the wave in any ballpark, anytime. You know, that's been a debate, you know, about the wave. And I hate it. 
And and especially it's like, okay, there's a time to do it. Have fun. But you're in a close game. You know, don't do it. Don't distract your pitcher. You know, there was a couple. There was a David Tuttle, who's with Jeff Blum on the Bleacher Blums podcast. I I asked him and he said, no, if you're going to do the wave, do it while your team is hitting. And then he and he asked Blummer, and he said the same thing. You do it while you're hitting. You don't do it while your guy is pitching. Or did I say that backwards? No, you're right. You, you don't want to do it. So, you know, as the pitcher is, you know, into his delivery, he sees people getting up and getting down and getting up and getting down, acting like idiots. Yeah. If you're going to do it, well, first of all, if you're going to do it, you're doing it in between innings as like part of like an in-between inning event. But, yeah, you definitely don't want your pitchers on the mound. It's certainly not in the late innings in a high leverage spot. I mean, it was that was just dumb. I want to shoot people, and and now that Governor Abbott has said everybody can get a gun and you don't have to have a license, you don't have to permit, you don't. Have to, I, I could go get one. Yeah, I I think they did say to do it when you're when you're when you were pitching because of the batter's eye that it, it distracts the hitter. No, I think that's what they no, said. There is no bat. Like the batter's eye is blocked out, so there well, are no okay. fans in the batter's eye. It's that's where the big green wall is. The yeah. batter's eye in every stadium is blacked out. So, and even if it wasn't, it's 420 feet yeah. away. Uh, so, well, I don't mean like, the batter's eye, the one in center field. I mean, I'm just saying they can see it. It's in the batter's eyeballs. You know, it's in their, it's within their vision when they're trying to concentrate on the pitch coming and they see the wave swing by. But who knows? Just don't do the wave. I hate wave it too. Sucks. So, wave sucks. Yeah. Don't do it, people. So, but we're, we're you're, you're right, as far as like, how do you feel after this game? Even though you lost two out of three, you don't feel like you lost two out of three. You feel like you stuffed it right up their tailpipe, and you know the Yankees probably feel that way too. They got it stuffed up their tailpipe. Six run ninth, and out of all people, Altuve taking them deep and walking them off again. See, that's what's that's what makes you feel so good as a fan is that all the gestures and all the things they were doing, they were all towards Altuve. He was the butt of their little things. And, you know, he was the one they were going after, you know, talking about the buzzers and all that. And so that's why it was so amazing that he did it. And it felt like we won the series. It was just amazing. It's I, I feel amazing. I mean, as a fan. I couldn't feel any better. Yeah, my, well, my weekend has been saved because, you know, I mean, I was ready to go, like, drink myself into oblivion and pretend the weekend never happened. But now I feel great. I'm going to go take my son to go see Black Widow. We're going to have a good time. I, uh, you know, grilled some steaks, uh, popped a, a celebratory Crawford Bach, then, then <laughs> popped a, uh, uh, a Bruce Sanity afterwards just for good measure. Thanks to my good friends, Carbach. Uh Dude, I'm, I'm feeling good, man. I'm ready. This is a great weekend. Now yeah, guys. We need us for the Bucks to lose in the NBA Finals, and things are awesome. So for you that didn't get to watch the game for some reason, or maybe that you left, uh, the inning, bottom of the ninth, we're down 7-2? to 7-2. Two? Yuli yeah. Gurriel comes up and gets a single. Tucker gets a double, and they pull out Herman and bring in Chad Green. So there's two on, no outs. Chaz McCormick, who I don't even think he played the first two games, and everybody was wondering where he was at. He had a two-run double, and all of a sudden it's seven to four. 
and there's no outs, and you can feel something happening. Toro comes up and gets a double, and Chaz McCormick scores. All of a sudden, it's seven to five. Jason Castro gets a double. What did Jason? He got a single, and Toro went to third. So now there's two on from Aldonado, and you're thinking, oh man, he can hit another home run. We can win. And he pops out. Right there is where Booty lost the game. When well, you had, you know, Herman comes in and, you know, Herman's pitching his, his second inning. Actually, pitching his third inning. This is, this is, Herman comes in, it's his third inning, and he gives up the infield single and then Tucker's double uh, off the wall. And he immediately yanks him for green. Green comes in, gives up the double to Chaz, double to, to Toro. And then the single to Castro, and right there, the fact he was not out on the mound, slowing the game down, getting another pitcher ready. Uh, really, after the Toro double, they, they should have like started the stall tactics to get somebody up and ready. It was clear Green didn't have good stuff. Yeah. So and, Castro and singled, he, right? And then... Castro singles up the middle. Maldonado pops point, up, right? And, and that would have been poetic as well. Maldi hits the the really low line drive uh, to short. Remember they tried that. Uh, oh, I'm going to yep. drop it. And they didn't let yep. him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like this is, I was surprised they didn't pinch hit from Maldonado after they just had Castro enter the game because you could have then just moved Castro to catcher at that point uh, and and taken Maldonado, who's he had a home run, but Maldonado's hit like 170. So. Yeah. You know, I was surprised they didn't pinch hit for Maldonado there. But then you've got, you know, uh, runners on the corners and one out and Altuve coming up. And Altuve, most recent history with Chad Green is took him deep, stole his girl, stole his wallet, stole his car, burned his house to the ground. (laughs) You can't let Chad Green pitch to Altuve in that spot. No. And he let him pitch to it and Altuve freaking burned him again. So this is what what is amazing about it. I mean, he hit the home run, and we win the game. And it's poetic that it's Altuve. And when he scored, they ripped his jersey off. So they got the last laugh. Blummer even took a jab on the broadcast. He said, uh, I feel a little buzz or something like that. So, So all the things that the Yankees did, all the things they said, the beatings they put on us, the first two and a half, two and two-thirds games, it all got wiped away with that one inning. And that is just amazing game. And that's that's why you love baseball. Yeah, the most improbable comeback. And and here's the other part about it, right? Because this is something I talk about on the show Friday is uh in Aroldis Chapman's last four in uh, outings coming into the series. He had blown two saves, taken a loss. He'd gone two and a third innings and given up like eight runs. And he walked like nine guys. I mean, his numbers were atrocious. They were afraid. They were afraid to go to him today. Hey, you were talking about your show. I I didn't get a chance to tell everybody what you do. So can you share share everybody what you do? You do the, the show Late Hits. So I host a show called Late Hits on ESPN 97.5. Uh, we're on weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. except Tuesdays. Tuesdays so, off. 
Tuesdays off, 7 to 9 p.m., late hits, ESPN 97.5. And uh, we talk a lot of shows. We talk so, a lot of baseball. So, so after the game, the Astros 55 and 36, uh, 7 and 3 in their last 10 is what I have. They won one game in a row, plus 136 run differential. And when you go back to when you said it's their largest comeback or something since 1980, I mean, that would be, I mean, you have to be kind of old to be around in 1980. And it was against the, it was against the, well, I'm just saying like, you know, 20 something year old kids and they see like the Astros haven't done this since they beat the Expos in 1980. And they're like, who the, who are the Expos? I never even heard of them. Well, you want a, a funny story with that. So when I was a kid, you know, growing up in New York, I'm a Mets fan. When I was a kid, uh, I was little and, you know, the, the Expos, the M for Montreal is in three different colors. And I used to thought, thought it said ELB. And I'm like, what the hell is ELB? Hmm. I love that hat growing up. With the, with the three colors I, I i thought it was the coolest hat ever i don't now i mean i wouldn't want it if i if i was playing for a team it didn't sit on a shelf and collect dust i mean unless it's signed by you know uh dawson or rock Reigns, or you got an old one that was signed by gary carter before he passed uh, eh. yeah I, I wish they were still around i mean that's how i feel but the next year, so it's the all-star break, and that's that's the next topic of discussion. But the, the Astros are off. I think the all-star game is Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't even know, and I don't even care. And then Friday, they're back at it in Chicago playing the White Sox. So we got the all-star break. Altuve and Correa were voted in by the players, and Brantley and Presley did too. But Altuve and Correa, we all know everybody backed out, but Altuve and Correa backed out first. And and my first reaction was, why are you doing that? Don't, you know, don't give these writers more material. However, you were tweeting that day, and you were actually a rock star on Twitter that day. And that's why, you know, I wanted to ask you about it. And, and, and what you said changed my mind. So, like, if you want to share your thoughts when you found out that they pulled out of the All-Star game, just ramble on and do your thing. Dude, I love that they pulled out of the, out of the All-Star game. You know, we've been wanting the Astros to embrace the black hat, you know, since last year. Wear the black hat, give the double rods, walk out there, you know, and just, you know, F everybody. We're going to do our things. We're going to win. Then we're going to leave. And, you know, you guys can all go home and cry. You're like little bitches. We don't care. And, you know, last year, they didn't embrace that. Like, they they just, they couldn't. And for whatever reason, uh, this year, they've embraced it better. You know, maybe the the extra time. Uh, they've they've been able to get a, a better uh, a better hold of, of how to handle a situation where, I mean, look, baseball decided they were going to make the Astros those who wear the scarlet letter they were going to be the pariahs and in the aftermath of having punished the astros and realizing the storm of negativity that they could not control all of the false 
you know, the, the, the conspiracy theories and the false stuff that had already been debunked and there, you know, so much the media was still running with it anyway. I was listening to freaking Michael Kay in New York, you know, go on and on about the whole buzzer thing. He actually had John Boy as a guest on the show talking about, you know, the fake Beltron's niece account. Right? That was radio on ESPN New York. They're talking about that horse food. And, and this was, you know, look, this was going on in New York, it's going on in Philly, it's going on in L.A., it's going, it's going on in every market. They're all with, with oh, they must have used buzzers, they must have done this, they, and people are just throwing out all these crazy-ass conspiracy theories. And baseball just let it ride. They didn't do anything. They could have come out and said, look, we already said none of this actually happened. So people need to get off of this. This is not true. It's not good for the game to have all these fake conspiracy theories going on out there. But no, they didn't. They sat there on their hands. They didn't do anything. They let the Astros twist in the wind. And they let every fan base get more and more and more men and vinger uh, up on, on stuff that wasn't even real. And they realized they couldn't control the beast. And that's why all the other elements that they learned about every other team and all the illicit stuff they were doing, they just swept it all under the rug. And if you don't think baseball sweeps things under the rug, you only have to look at the Astros to see that they absolutely do. Because if the Astros, who clearly did things they did, they were investigated five times in 2017 by Major League Baseball, and baseball cleared them every time. So either baseball is the keystone cops of investigations mm -hmm. or they were trying to hide it. That's what I think. Baseball couldn't figure it out. Baseball just kept clearing them. And other teams knew they were doing stuff. The Astros knew they were doing stuff. The Astros knew other teams were doing stuff. You know, the Astros, you know, went and, and explained how like seven or eight other teams in the course of the investigation, the seven or eight other teams, they knew they were doing, you know, illicit stuff. Baseball swept it all under the rug because they knew if they had to investigate and punish eight more teams like they did the Astros, and it basically you had to out everybody in your league is cheating, you've got a massive credibility issue with the public. And that's really bad for baseball. That's bad for money. That's bad for sales. That's bad for TV partners. They didn't want any part of that. It was in baseball's best financial interest to sweep all that other stuff under the rug, let the Astros wear the scarlet letter, and move on. That's what that's the fan the bases from other teams don't understand. Oh, no, they understand. They, they, don't they can't See, bust everybody because every other team knows that they were cheating asses, too. Yeah. But they also know they're getting away with it. So they get to run their mouths about all oh, the Astros, those dirty cheaters. They should be stripped of their title. They should be suspended. Dude, if baseball had any balls whatsoever, your whole team would be suspended too. Like we'd all be playing with AAA guys, the whole damn league. So yeah. everybody knows that they just it's, it's fun to just pile on the Astros. Everybody has a common enemy. You know, for decades, the Yankees were the common enemy, right? They were the evil empire. They spent more money than everybody else. Everybody in baseball hates the Yankees. When the Yankees lose, America wins. The Astros are now in that same category because of how baseball treated them with the sign-stealing issues. So now the Astros are just the common enemy that everybody else in baseball can rally around together and say, we have something in common. We hate the Astros.
if you got that much hate, I mean, look, you want to keep the fake hate going. That's great. We'll see you in October if your team makes it. Hey, you brought but, up how you're you're happy to see that the Astros, you know, put on the black hat this year and they accepted it. And that's what happened with fans, you know, because you get tired of hearing it online, on Twitter and all that, that you start fighting back and you're like, OK, well, good. We're the bad guys. Who cares? Because like, and they're, you know, they criticize us for accepting it and. But we're not accepting it. We're just sick of hearing about it. And we know we're not the only ones that did it. So we're just tired of it. Just shut up already. All right. So so Twitter secrets for Astros fans. After you put out whatever it is that you're going to put out and some moron with like 12 followers tries to clap back at you and then you click yep. on them and, and they have an egg and they've got 12 followers and it says like Dodgers this or that. You don't have to respond. You can do this thing called mute. And then you hit mute. And then you don't see anything they say. But they still see what you say. So they can still sit there and get all mad and hurt and, and, and all up in their feelings. And you don't see anything they say and you don't care. Do not argue with morons. And basically everybody coming at you is a moron. So yeah, like if, if you were in the gym and some moron started talking to you, you'd walk right by. If you were at Target and some moron started talking to you, you'd walk right by. On the street, at work, at a game, social media is no different. Mute the moron, walk on by. Let them steam in their misery. Just like, you know what? That guy's all hurt over what I said. I do not care. Yeah, I don't really engage with him anymore, but a lot of people do. And it's funny, it's because like, I'll see other people post or somebody. I think I commented on um, the bad call. I put a video out with that bad call. I think it was on Yuli Gurriel in the ninth inning, of the second game. And I said, man, the, the ump really screwed us on that. And this guy said, don't blame the people that blame umps for losses are the worst. And it's like, dude, it was ninth inning and there was a runner on base and there's only one out like that was a big deal that was that that call could have changed the game because there could have been one on and two outs Yuli could have had another pitch i mean if the call was right the next pitch is different the situation is different the pressure is different i mean it it, it made a difference and so when the guy clapped back clapped at me like you say i'm like i wonder how many lists how many followers this guy has and it's like 12 I'm like yep He's just here to – they're just there to comment and try to – I don't know. They're just nobody. They're there so. to troll. That's it. They're there to troll and try to anger you. Mute next. Don't, don't, don't give them the satisfaction. Let them sit there. Let them be pissed off because they didn't get the response from you. That's all they want. They want a response from you. When they don't get it, they get mad. F them. Yeah. So, so Saturday the game was on – did you say today was on TBS? Today was on TBS. Oh, I didn't know that. It was on yeah, AT&T yeah, Ron also. Was on the call day. Oh, I didn't know that. I wish I would have watched it. That would have been funny. Um, but on Saturday, they were on uh, Fox. And they, you know, of course, buzzer, buzzer, buzzer. And I'm like, okay, Fox, you know, that is a conspiracy theory. That is something that didn't even happen. Why don't you bring up the fact that the Yankees have some kind of damning letter 
That's going to embarrass the franchise. Why don't you, why don't you bring that up? You know why you because can't? Because it's the Yankees, and they're the and Major League Baseball's the mafia, and they won't allow you to. That's it. Baseball is always going to protect the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, and the Cubs. Those teams are gold, and they are always going to be protected. It is the lowest of low-hanging fruit to just, oh, the Astros, they cheated. The Astros, they cheated. They cheated. And and that's why with the whole thing with the, with the All-Star game and Altuve and Correa and then Brantley and Presley saying, nah, you know what? We got better things to do. See ya. Uh, the, the stupid ass conspiracy theories that people keep coming up with. Of, oh, they're afraid to to look at their fellow players. That is the most dumb horse crap that is going on. Tell me how many guys in the Toronto Blue Jays locker room went and accosted George Springer when he became a Blue Jay. Or how many Tigers decided, you know what? I'm not playing for A.J. Hinch. Screw that guy. He's a cheater. How many White Sox rebelled when they signed Dallas Keuchel? Or Minnesota with Marvin Gonzalez? Or should I, you, I say L.A. with Mookie Betts? But anyway. You know what the, the fans say? They're like, oh, well, they were remorseful. And they said they apologized. No, they didn't. They changed teams. That's all they did. All they did was change teams. And, and this is why I was critical of the Astros not getting a deal done with Correa last year. Because we knew this year it was going to be look, there was going to be a lot of a lot of venom bigger, uh, you know, a lot of venom coming the Astros' way. And if you didn't get a deal done with Correa, you're running the risk of hey, this is a guy who's already done the team a solid and taken a discount when he got drafted. He took two point four million dollars less than what he was slotted for as the number one overall pick, so that the Astros took a million for that and could give it to Lance McCullers Jr. and sign him in a draft where he wasn't going to get picked because nobody thought they could sign him. Yeah. Right? His agent, Scott Boris, he was signed and sealed and going to the University of Florida. But because Correa took less, they were able to sign McCullers. This is the guy who's already done the solid once. Now, that, all right, well, hey, look, we'll give you like 120 million. You're out of your mind. Cray was always getting at least two bills. And then with the Frankie Lindor contract, Cray is going to get paid like a damn champion this year. If they'd have done the deal last year, they had probably gotten them for 150, 180 million. And now instead, they're trying to teach Pedro Leon shortstop at the yeah. AA. Yeah. It's exactly what they're doing. They, they had a chance to sign him and they didn't. I mean, for less, you know. Sign him when he's hurt. But, I mean, I, there was a lot of people that, you know, like maybe we don't sign the guy because he misses a lot of games. But last year he proved he was worth it. This year so far he's proved that he's worth it. And I think him being out of the lineup the first two games made a difference. I, I know it does offensively and defensively. But just the leadership and the way, if you look back at the time he was, uh, I guess he, he was on the mound with Framber. Like, he became the leader and the spoke. I mean, was it Framber that he was talking to? It was, right? Yeah, well, he talks to Framber and he also talks to Rikini. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's something people don't understand is, you know, last year, Correa became the leader of the team. I was hashtagging this Captain Crush. He yeah. became the leader of the team last year. And when you're losing, you know, a, a power bat, high average, high on base, elite defender, and team leader – 
when he walks out the door. That dude is worth every freaking penny you pay him. And, you know, the whole, oh, well, nobody's worth this money, that money. Here's the deal. Number one, it's not your money, so stop crying about it. All right, your ticket prices are going up four bucks every year, regardless of whether they pay them or they don't pay them. So they might as well freaking pay them because you're paying anyway. I, I don't understand the, well, I'm going to GM and, and, and I, I would never pay that guy. You know what? Next year, your ticket prices are still going up whether you whether they sign them or not. Do so you think that them. was a real offer the Astros gave him? I didn't even I, think it was real. Like six it, years, it, 120 million? It, that's it was not, a that's super, not real. Nah, it's a super low ball offer. You know, I mean, look, they got the They'd be better off offering nothing. They got the home team discount on Lance McCullers Jr. He, he gave them the home team discount. He was coming off major injury and whatnot. You, Correa was never taking that deal. Correa already gave you the discount when he signed the first time. He yeah. wasn't giving you the deal. You've taken Correa to arbitration the first year and sat there and tried to tell him how he wasn't worth money and then he wound up settling and he won his case. Then last year, you know, Luno was going to, you know, go challenge him again, but then Crane fired him. And then Crane himself worked out a settlement deal with Correa before they went to arbitration. And then they went into arbitration again, you know, and he, you know, how many times are, are you going to try to play this game with this guy? You should have just given him money two years ago. Yeah, I yeah, think he's gone. I don't they've think they're going to sign him. Early. They've signed guys early before and, you know, say, oh, well, it didn't work with John Singleton. It worked with Alex Gregman. You yeah. know, like, if it worked with another star on the team. You know, I mean, they could, could they have signed George Springer? Yes, they could have signed George Springer. Now, would Michael Brantley have been back? Probably not. But they could have signed George Springer. And they can sign Carlos Correa. The Astros make a ton of money. The idea of the Astros is being this like, small mid-market team. We're the fourth biggest city in the country, everybody. The Astros yeah. print money. They print money. You they know when... Uh, and pay. When they weren't going to sign George Springer. Everybody was like, yeah, we got to re-sign George. We got to re-sign George. And I'm like, no, no, you don't. I mean, there's other outfielders out there that may may not be as good as him, but the gap between him and the guy you're going to get isn't as huge as the guy you're going to get to play shortstop when Correa leaves. So save the money you're going to give George and give it to Correa. So I was all in now that I'm thinking about that conversation but you have to save the money for Perea. I think Verlander's off. I mean, they paid Verlander $35 million. We got a, a lot of young pitchers that are cheap. I, I mean, they should have signed the guy. And I, I think all the things you brought up about trying to shortchange him and the fact that he didn't have a deal before the season started, he's gone. I would be really shocked if he if they signed him. In well, the there's, there's no way they're signing him during the season now. No, I mean, he's had he's had a big first half, and he's pl- continued to hit you know hit for power, hit for average, get on base, play great defense. Correa is going to go into the offseason, and he's going to hit the open market, and he's going to have a bunch of teams backing up a Brinks truck for him. They blew their window. And oh yeah, you're right. Whoever they whoever they try to sign to replace him is going to be a big drop off because I mean it's not, they're not going they're not going to go give. Trevor Story, $250 million, you know, and like, like the other guys, like you look at the, the other players, you know, uh, 
the the kid from Chicago. He's nowhere near as good. No. So what are you going to do? You're going to have uh, you know bring up minor league guy and, and play him at uh, and play him at uh, at short and just go. All right, well, we'll just you know go cheap on short for a year. And this is why you know and you're like, well, why the hell is Leon playing shortstop? The guy's a center fielder. Yeah, I and, knew why. And they're doing and they're treating him. <laughs> The way they were treating Miles Straw. Now it's different when you're talking about Straw because they always looked at Straw as a fourth outfielder. Same as you know, this team does not value speed players. They don't value them at all. That's why Tony Kemp never really got a fair shot here. They don't value that kind of player, and, and they don't value Miles Straw because he doesn't hit for power. He's a speed guy, and that's that's not their analytic front office doesn't value that. So. They, you know, he's, oh, well, you know what? We can play straw in center field for a year, maybe two. He'll play, you know, I said at the beginning, he'll, he'll play pretty well. He'll hit 270. He'll have like a 350, 360 on base. He's going to bat at the end of the lineup. Uh, you know, I mean, if he was hitting really well, you could make the case to bat him leadoff, but Altuve has gotten back in the groove in the leadoff spot and oh, yeah. he didn't hit for, for five weeks. So, but he's hitting well in the eight spot. And, you know, if your eight hitter is hitting 270, you don't have a bright. No. But the, the idea being, hey, they, they went and signed Pedro Leon, who they thought if he was in the draft would have been a top four pick. But you're treating him like a guy who, you know, is is a fourth outfielder bench guy. Hey, let's get him some positional flexibility. Let's teach him some different places. They're actually, you know, trying to find out, hey, can you play shortstop? Because we might need you to be a shortstop. And, and that tells you what their plan is with Carlos Correa right off the bat is how they're taking a guy who, in their eyes, is one of the highest ceiling prospects in this system, a guy they thought would have been a top four pick in the draft, and they're trying to change his position at, what, 23 years old? Yeah. First year in America? None of that makes any sense. <laughs> All right, I got three questions I want to ask you before I let you go. Uh, who is your midseason MVP? I know it's not the exact midseason, but who's your halfway point, the MVP of the Astros? Okay, uh, Astros. That's you know that's a tough one because I think there's a couple of guys that you could say are, are worthy. Yuli Gurriel has had a great season. And enough cannot be said about the turnaround that that Gurriel has had from last year to this year. I mean, there was concern that Yuli, you know, is Yuli, you know, did his age catch up to him? Yeah. And anytime you're talking about Cuban players who come over late in their career, are they really as old as they say they are? Or are they a little bit older? You know, Yuli has been consistent all year long. He's still hitting 313 and he's he's been a, you know, a really steady presence for them. Correa has been terrific offensively and defensively uh, among the regulars. He has the highest OPS, uh, but this team got going when Jose Altuve got going. Yeah. And at the end of the day, as, as, and, you know, as much as I like, you know, Kyle Tucker, you know, his backup over 270. Uh, Brantley as good as he's been. Jose Altuve is what drives the engine. And when he got going, they started winning. Altuve's resurgence. And this is a, a this, normally, this would be a big story for any other team. Because you think about how awful a season Jose Altuve had a year ago. 
And this is a guy who's, you know, a batting champion, an MVP, a guy who had, you know, 200 hits four years in a row. Mm -hmm. And a guy who's for his career is a, a guy who hits over 300 for his career. He hit 219. And people were writing him off. Oh, uh, maybe Altuve is going to be a bad contract. And Altuve has come back, and he's on pace to hit more homers than he's ever hit in his career. He's at 20 homers already. Uh, you know, and he's hitting like 280. He, he's already almost a three-war. He is – his return to prominence would be a story at the break, you know, the, the comeback of Jose Altuve. Mm -hmm. But because nobody wants to write anything positive about the Astros, cricket. There, there's a few people that, you know, they're like, hey, you know, I know they cheated. These guys are actually pretty good. Uh, but the second question is, is who, I don't know if it's who or what, however you want to answer this, but what's the biggest surprise for you? I mean, mine would be the, Yuli, based on what you just said. The biggest surprise for me is Louis Garcia. Louis Garcia, oh, yeah. who had, you know, basically, you know, pitched to like high A. Louis Garcia is pitched like an ace. You know, the uh, the matchup that he had with uh, Sean Manaya uh, earlier this week, you know, Sean Manaya is like Oakland's staff ace, and Garcia and, Man and Manaya have almost identical numbers. This is his first year as an actual starter, and he's striking out over 10 guys per nine. He's, his ERA is barely over three. He's, he's not walking a ton of guys he's only walked 29 guys he has been like for for all the injuries that the astros have dealt with in the rotation whether it was urquidy or valdez or mccullers or odorizzi i mean at one point like everybody but granky in that rotation has been on the injured list louis garcia has been a steadying hand and pitched at a at a front of the rotation level to me, he's the biggest surprise of the year because I don't think anybody possibly could have said, hey, Louis Garcia is going to pick like a number two starter. Overall, how do you think Dusty Baker's doing? Uh, I think Dusty's a terrific manager. I've long been a fan of Dusty. Dusty's ability to relate to players, even at his age now, is, is unbelievable. You will never go back in history and find a single team where every single player didn't absolutely love Dusty and would run through a damn wall for him. This is a unique situation for Dusty because Dusty's a National League guy. Remember, Dusty played most of his career in L.A. with the Dodgers in the 70s. You know, he won a, he won a World Series as a player with the Dodgers. Uh, he was a National League manager almost, like, basically his entire life as a National League manager. So this is a guy who values speed and defense and double switching and all that type of stuff. And with the Astros... That's all pretty much taken out of his hands. Now, when you have the DH, obviously you don't have to do double switching and, and all that type of stuff. But Dusty is a guy who uh, I think would would run more if he was allowed. It was such a big surprise today. The, uh, the Astros had three stolen bases all in the same inning, no less, as they were trying to rattle Jamison Tyon there. Uh, I think it was like a sixth inning. They were trying to rattle him because they were trying to find a way to get something going. Their bats have been dead for, for two and a half games. 
And, you know, you see, you see uh, Kyle Tucker. I mean, Kyle Tucker's got speed. People don't realize. Kyle Tucker can swipe bags. He's tall. He's lanky. <laughs> he doesn't look like he's running as fast. He's got long strides, you know. People used to say that about Daryl Strawberry. He never looks like he's running fast. Well, he's six foot six. He takes a stride. He's covering like 12 yards. <laughs> he takes monster steps. Kyle Tucker is a lot faster and has really good base running instincts. Uh, and the Astros have had guys who have speed but don't have good base running instincts. Like George Springer had the speed to steal bags. He just didn't get good jumps. Kyle Tucker gets better jumps, and he's got speed. And you saw, he, he stole third base. With a right, with a left-handed batter at the plate, that is like a baseball sin. <laughs> you never try to steal third with a lefty up because the catcher's got a clean line of sight. When there's a righty up, he's got to get around the batter and then throw. From with a lefty up, it's basically a pitch out, no matter where the ball is, and he still got in there. So I mean, that's that that takes that takes uh, some kutzpah, uh, but you also got to have the speed, and the talent to do it. Uh, I think Tucker would run more if the Astros valued speed more. You know, I mean, how many – I think that there's been a lot of opportunities for Miles Straw to steal bags, and he hasn't had as many of them because, you know, when you're hitting eighth, the value of your stolen base isn't necessarily as much because, all right, I'm stealing a base. What, so I can stay out of double play with Maldonado hitting behind me? Uh, but he's got 13 stolen bases, and, like, Straw – if they just let him run, he'd probably have 50, but they don't let him run. So, so, so if you're James Click, if you're James Click and Crane tells you at the trade deadline, go ahead and go over the luxury tax threshold, what moves do you make? Uh, first call I'm making is to the Nationals. I'm finding out if Max Scherz is available. That, that, <laughs> that would be amazing. And call number two is I'm calling the Cubs without Craig Kimball. Like, those are literally the first two calls I'm making. Are those guys both on the last year of their contract? Um, Scherzer is, but Scherzer's a 10-5 and five guy. So not only do you have to find out if Scherzer's available, but you have to find out if Scherzer's willing uh, to be dealt. Now, yeah. Kimbrell, um, I think he's in the last year of his deal. Uh, he signed a three-year deal with the Cubs. He's got, you know, what? He's got one more year left. Mm. But if 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 you if you if he gets you to a title, I mean, he's back to being, you know, Dirty Craig again. So if you can get Craig Campbell, and because he's making it's like sixteen million this year, uh, I don't think his contract next year is guaranteed, though. So I think you have him this year for the prorated balance of the sixteen million, but next year. You could probably bail on him for a million bucks because uh, his vesting, his vesting was never going to hit because they didn't play enough games last year for him to be able to hit the vesting numbers. Mm -hmm. So essentially, you only owe him. You could pay him sixteen million, uh, or you could buy him out for a million dollars and then do a new deal. So what? What young guys for the Astros are untouchable, or who would? Who would? Who do you think they would have to give up to make one of these moves? It's hard to know what other teams want at this point in the game. Uh, but I would tell you that right now, there shouldn't be anybody who's untouchable. You're trying you, to win a title. Yeah, and you got Pedro Leon know, and Siri. There's a, I know there's a, there's a kid that's been tearing it up 
in AAA right now. McKenna, I think, is his name. Well, Jose Siri is not really a prospect. I mean, he's 26. He they signed him as a minor league free agent. He I think he played for the Reds organization, and he is a power speed guy who plays okay defense, strikes out a ton, hmm. and that's always been the issue with Siri. He strikes out a lot, um, but. The, the reason he, you know, obviously never got up to the big league teams because he's not on the 40 man. But, you know, Pedro Leon is probably their number two prospect. And and I say that because, like, MLB.com will still list Forrest Whitley as their number one. Man, I'm trading Forrest Whitley to anybody who wants him. I've said that for three years. <laughs> anybody, if I can use Forrest Whitley to get something I want, I'm moving him. He's He's 23. He's six foot seven. They got to change the mechanics every freaking year. Maybe he goes on to have a good career later on, but if I can win a title now by, by dealing him, bye. The, the only guy that I'm probably not, that, that I don't want to deal is Leon. But if Leon's going to get me Max Scherzer or Craig Kimbrell or whomever, and I'm going to win a title, I'm going to win the title because I don't know if there's going to be baseball next year. There you go. It's up at the end of the year. And, you know, who's, oh, well, you know, what about the, the luxury tax? We don't even know what the luxury tax is going to be next year, what it's going to look like. What I can tell you is it's not going to look like it looks right now because the Players Association is hell-bent that that's going to change. So we are not going to see the same style luxury tax system uh, that we have right now in the new CBA. And if that's why we don't play baseball right away, that might be why we don't play baseball right away. But there's, it's not happening. So you need to go for it. Whatever it is, the, the, the whole, oh, well, the Astros, the Astros graduated a lot of their top prospects are already playing. You know, they're, they're, they're littered with pitchers. And then you've got, uh, you know, Straw and Tucker and Jordan. You know, these, these are all their, their top prospects in their system. They're already at the major league level. So whoever's the minors, if they're going to help me get somebody like a Scherzer or a Kimbrell or, um, uh, like uh, uh, Richard Rodriguez from uh, from uh, from Pittsburgh. Yeah, I knew there was someone from I'm, Pittsburgh that was that was his name's been coming up. I'm 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 ready to win the title. Let's go, Kimbrel and especially Scherzer. They are the two most impact arms that could potentially be on the market. The Cubs after they dropped eleven straight, the Cubs are for sale. You the Scherzer deal would be like the, the JV Cubs. deal. Right, uh, it, would, it, it would mirror it pretty much because uh, essentially, and they didn't give up big prospects for Verlander. Yeah, you know, but he's got to a. They have to be willing to deal him, and b. He's got to be willing to go because he's a ten and five guy, just like Verlander. It's literally the same situation, except okay. you don't have the month of August to play around with it. All right, Patrick, I won't take any more of your time, but I do appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun talking to you. It's been a while. I've been trying to get you on for, man, I don't know, five or six months, but it finally happened. I, I apologize. I look, but things have been a little crazy for me. Hey, uh, people are busy. People have life. Yeah, I know. But uh, honestly, I should have done a better job making sure I got on on the podcast with you. So <laughs> I will make sure that anytime you ask me, I will be able to come on the show for you. I'm for you anytime you want. I really appreciate you having me on. All right. Well, I appreciate you doing that. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, listening, guys. Uh, thanks again to Patrick for coming on, and we will see you next time on Astros Baseball.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.